0: Welcome to All Things Beer,
1: a Pat's Pints, Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab
0: a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer.
1: Hey, Pat. Hey, Mark. It's good to be back another month, a holiday month. Oh, yeah. Good month to be a beer drinker, I'd say.
0: Is it ever not a good month to be a beer drinker?
1: Good point. It's always a good month to be a beer drinker. Well, welcome to everyone out in podcast land to another episode of the podcast. Yes, sir. Just in time for the holidays, we're going to do a deep dive into winter warmers and holiday ales. You know, we've been talking about the history of different beer styles recently. We did Saison's on the last podcast, and earlier in the summer we did IPA, and I thought... It would be kind of fun to do a style that is exceptionally popular in Ohio, and that would be the spiced winter warmer holiday ale. And so we invited somebody who's been in the thick of it almost since the beginning to tell us about how the style and holiday beers in general have evolved. And that's our good friend, Angelo Signorino. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Speaking of Christmas ales, I mean, this is an annual tradition to normally get to see you on the Christmas ale release party at Barley's, and sadly, this year, uh, a lot of people stay at home for very good
2: reasons. We had a very low-key event at Barley's. Uh, We were relatively full compared to the last nine months, but we still had live music and, and a real nice turnout, and we really appreciate that. People find us relevant all these years later. The Christmas ale went on tap two weeks ago, Friday, and it's gone. <laughs> we,
1: <laughs> we sold it's the gone. whole batch. It's all I, gone.
2: <laughs> I put, well. I had a, the day that we tapped the Christmas ale. I brewed another batch and put that on tap last Friday. We had like three gallons in one keg left, and that was wow. It. Well, that's a testament to how much people love that beer. Uh, it caught me off guard, but I'm glad, and it's better than the alternative, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's good to know people want it, and I know I do as well. And fortunately, Pat muled some up north for me last week. had it in the garage watching some football on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and it was great to have it. So, not quite like going to the Christmas ale tapping, though. It's nice to have those
2: events, and I I look forward to them coming
0: back.
1: As we all do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's nice to hear the birds. Like, I can hear the birds in the monitor here. It's nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, just for the listeners out here, we might say that we are are podcasting from the garage for reasons of... Fresh air and social distance. Absolutely. That's right. Let's turn the clock back and, you know, just talk about where this style comes from. From the research I've done, the, the holiday ales, probably the oldest kind of tradition of that goes back to Scandinavia, uh, where they had something called Yule Ale, and that goes back to the Vikings. And I was even reading that for a time, if you go back to the Middle Ages, the law was that each family had to brew Yule Ale every year. That's really interesting. Is there a delineation between Wassail and Yule Ale? Well, I think Wassel comes later, but the name comes from vashel which is viking or norwegian for good health so vasel was what people would say when they drank yule ale very nice and as we'll get into a little bit later actually vasel probably has some connection with this whole spicing regimen that comes with the uh, you know the american spice winter warmer you know all over europe if you think back to the middle ages and and even to victorian times i mean It was dark. You know, it was cold. It would be a good time to drink a stronger uh, beer, I think, right? Just to make it through those days, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's been my observation that people are decorating for Christmas earlier than usual for the same reason. While today isn't particularly dark, it's perceived as dark times to most of us.
1: Yeah, that's the truth. And uh, you do see
0: uh, a lot of people decorating early. And just yesterday, uh, we're trying to get our street on a trend, so... Uh, My neighbors, Tom and George and Greg and myself, we spent the afternoon, well, drinking beer and putting up lights. That's a good way to spend a Saturday afternoon, I'd say. Yeah, now it's time to spend a Sunday afternoon the same way.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I mean, the characteristic winter beer in Britain would be stronger and, you know, with premium malts, uh, but not necessarily spiced. And from what I've read, a little bit of that tradition comes from the October beer. Do you guys know what I mean when I talk about an October beer? I don't. You know, the Gentry all had breweries on their estates. And in the fall, you have the barley harvest coming in. You also probably have harvested hops not so long ago, and so they would make these stronger, bigger beers in October to be enjoyed over the winter. And, and I think that's a little bit what a lot of the English versions sort of emulate. Well, right now we, we're actually enjoying uh, a winter warmer from the UK, and this is uh, Sam Smith's Welcome Winter
2: Ale, a classic. I don't know what year it first became available in the United States, but I remember seeing it distinctly in, in the eighties, and probably the first Christmas looking beer that I can think of outside of Spuds McKenzie wearing a <laughs> Santa costume, a Santa hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: which it was a great image in its time, but definitely not not a fantastic Christmas ale in any way, shape, or form. Well, it but was light. illegal. In Ohio, yeah, to have representations of Santa on beer branding. I think still, to some degree, it is as well, yes. Although I see a lot of skirting around that. In American standards, when you think warming, you think of a lot more alcohol than this. But it does have a nice kind of bready, figgy, a little bit of toffee on the nose. And
1: it's a very easy drinking beer. It's a classic. Sam Smith's, you can't go wrong. In researching for this show, I was trying to come up with, you know, what would be the classic description of a British winter warmer. did find some descriptions from uh, Gordon Strong, who's pretty knowledgeable on almost all things beer. What he says is very malty with a full body and a sweet finish. Flavors of typical English Christmas puddings are common. Figs, molasses, toffee, caramel, raisins, prunes, dried fruit, and so on. Not roasty, but featured dark caramel and dark fruit flavors.
2: That's what this is. Yeah. yeah, indeed. One piece of wisdom I was lucky enough to get judging beer next to Michael Jackson was him describing malt flavor as tasting like a chocolate chip cookie without the chips. Oh, okay. Interesting. He yeah. said that's the way malt manifests itself in beer best. Yeah. Huh.
1: Now, Angela, when did you judge next to Michael Jackson?
2: I think it was 2000. I... I'd have to look. He had a new book out that he autographed for me, and I could date it that way. But it was at the uh, National Cascale Competition in Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. He also said that alcohol uh, manifests itself in beer as black pepper.
1: I think I've never okay. heard anybody
2: say that before.
1: I mean, I can think of some beers that you know have a peppery character to them, but I don't normally think of that coming from the alcohol.
2: A beer we usually brew post-holidays or for the end of the year is our old curiosity, and it's Close to 8%. We had to stick to 7.6%, which was 6% by weight back in the 90s when we started brewing it, and we didn't change that. But uh, we had a very enthusiastic customer who loved the beer so much and swore there was black pepper in it that he made a homebrew version of it and actually put a black peppercorn in each bottle to try to emulate that flavor. (laughs) interesting.
1: (laughs) Did you try that?
2: It was pretty weird.
1: Okay. (laughs) Interestingly, the bottle has got... Some You can see it, Mark. It's closest to you. It's got some kind of interesting messages for the COVID times on it.
2: Isn't yeah. it a fundraiser for bartenders?
1: Yeah, friends, servers, bussers, bartenders,
0: and you! Exclamation point. Hosts, distributors, musicians, dishwashers, and cooks. Welcome back, Ale. So this is a way different branding, but those ribbons, I think, are normally present.
1: It says on the back, supporting the U.S. Bartenders Guild.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Thanks for pointing that out. That's really cool. I'll probably repeat this at another point in the podcast, but the message on the label brings up such a valid point. People in the service industry are are really hurting right now, and we could all use your help. Tip exorbitantly well. I got carry out last night and tipped 50% just because I want these restaurants to survive, and I really care about these people. If you can afford to do it, I sure can't recommend it enough.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's very unfortunate that through some of these times, and especially with the shutdown, and those of us that are trying to keep uh, restaurants and bars open, it's very hard to think that of all the people that go to work on a daily basis, of course, medical profession aside, that are going to great lengths to sanitize things, to space out the restaurants, to make a very safe environment, it seems like. It's very different than someone that you know just ordinarily worked at, at an office and now is working at home. People in the service industry still have to go to work and go to great lengths to try to make a safe environment for us to go get food or something to drink. It's unfortunate that in the shutdown, that's the industry that's going to be punished with the
1: shortness of wages. So it is tough, Angelo. It is really. It's difficult. Yeah, I think still some dark days ahead, but I think anything that people can do. To help, you know, their
2: favorite place make it through, we should all try and do that. And it's been said before by people smarter than me and wiser, beer is an affordable luxury. So please support all the local breweries, the ones closest to your house, whichever ones you can. Amen to that.
1: Well, I think we're going to come across the pond now, over to the U.S. And uh, it's my understanding that the first holiday beer of the modern craft beer era would have been the Anchor Christmas Sale. Do you guys have memories of, of this beer from from the past?
2: It was really interesting to get every year's version because if I recall correctly, they changed the recipe every year but with different malts and different spices. This version is it's surprisingly dry compared to the Sam Smith's we just had. That's true. I mean and uh, it's stronger. Yeah, what is the percent It's only 1%, but the difference between 0 and 1% is not insignificant. <laughs> right. Yeah, whereas the Sam Smiths was
1: kind of rich and, and a little bit sweet and, and definitely very malt forward, this one is, yeah, much drier. And, and it has also a definite underlying spiciness to it, right? What, what spices do you guys pick up in the spirit? Do you think? It's a secret, by the way. They don't tell you what spices they put in.
2: I wouldn't be surprised if there's some type of molasses in addition to some nice roasted malt. Yeah, I would have said something
0: like triacole, molasses. Yeah, it's interesting. Still kind of sussing out.
1: It's very dark in color. The head is beautiful tan color. Indeed. I think you guys are on mark with the molasses. And to me, it gives it a real gingerbread kind of vibe. I can get that. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good call, Pat. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little ginger also in there.
2: Yeah, the the spices are all subtle, but they work with the beer very harmoniously. It's not like screaming ginger. Yeah, since this
0: was the first Christmas ale that I really knew to be around here in the U.S., that kind of as a last-minute impulse, I rushed up to Palmer's Beverage. Speaking of supporting your locals, they're the closest place for me to get a beer here in the neighborhood and uh pat had told me last night that they had it up there and i thought we can't not have
1: on well done it. yeah right i'm glad i did this is good now anchor also i believe gets a, a different hand-drawn label every year and they always feature trees don't they
0: yes like i've seen posters that'll have all of them on through the years also calendars over the years as promo items it is uh it's a it's a classic label. I've always enjoyed having this beer in the in the label. It's consistent
1: with others. It would be fun to flip through all the different labels over the years. Are the spices in this beer or the uh, the adjuncts in the beer ever tree related? I, I can't
2: remember that, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some spruce in it at some point, and there could even be a little bit of spruce in this. There are several differences between this beer,
1: and the Sam Smiths that we just had. And, and and really, this is a different sort of beer. The most obvious one, though, is the use of spices. So the question is, what inspired Fritz Maytag and, and then later other brewers in the U.S. to put spices in their beer? Because that doesn't really come from the British tradition. So I got looking into this a little bit, and I went to the Beer Bible by Jeff Allworth, and he talks about it a little bit. And, and his theory is that the Americans took these maltier, stronger beers, they took that tradition and they then melded it with the wassail tradition. Jeff had a recipe in his book, and I thought, well, maybe we should read that recipe. This is from 1835. And so if you wanted to make wassail in the 19th century, you might start by pour a pint of strong hoppy beer over a half pound of brown sugar and grate nutmeg and cinnamon into the mixture. Add three slices of lemon and two sugar cubes rubbed over the lemon peel. Next, put the whole thing through another fermentation lasting a few days with, curiously, toasted bread added to the mix. Finally, serve warm with hot roasted apples floating in it. Huh. Now, I've had wassail here in the U.S., and it was not made to that recipe, necessarily. There was no re-fermentation, as far as I know. And, of course, not everybody makes it with beer, do they? Uh, Sometimes people use wine or or other kinds of liquors. He did go on to say that although this recipe doesn't call for booze, it was pretty common that people would add... Fortify. Yeah, fortify it. (laughs) And then the other thing, it was also very common to add eggs to it. That is an interesting recipe. But definitely we see cinnamon and nutmeg in there. And those flavors eventually did migrate into American holiday beers.
0: It's a thing.
1: I mean, I always wondered,
0: was it Christmas candles? Was it potpourri that everybody thought, hey, what if we cram this into a beer? I don't know, because there are some resonating flavors that you're accustomed to that are very akin to the season.
2: I don't know if it was in the first edition, but... Charlie Papazian's The Complete Joy of Home Brewing's always, as far back as I can remember, included a recipe for a Christmas ale that's very much like this, like uh, the orange and right. ginger and yeah. cinnamon.
1: When would the first edition have come out, do you think? It would have been post Anchor, 1975, at least. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure. It'd be worth researching. Yeah, yeah, that's worth looking up. Now, as you both know. I mean, I lived on the West Coast in the early part of the 90s. I lived in Oregon from 91 to 96. And there was a tradition of holiday beers, but in Oregon anyway, and on the West Coast in general, not so much with spices. So one of the early holiday beers I remember from those times, which you can get today in Columbus, is Jubilee by Deschutes Brewing, which is a very nice uh, malty beer. And they go on to say, That they don't use spices, but they try very hard to use ingredients that give you the impression of spices. Mm, So they talk about East Kent Golding hops and and the choice of malts, and so so that that's an interesting take. And then, of course, a famous holiday beer that we're going to actually come back to later in the podcast would be uh, the Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale, right? Which is definitely not spiced. Well, you could call hops a spice, and if you call hops a spice, it's very spiced. (laughs) So.
0: Can I have some spicy notes for sure. <laughs> you know, as this beer starts to warm up and open up a little bit, the Anchor Christmas beer, I almost have like a nose of campfire s'more type of thing. Like, you know, like the graham cracker, chocolate, maybe a little vanilla,
1: marshmallow. Yeah. It's a newer offering, but it's also out of Oregon from uh, Ninkasi Brewing in, in Eugene. And sometimes I'm back in the West for Christmas, um, but they make a beer called Slayer, which is an alt beer. Which would seem also like an improbable kind of holiday beer, but they brew it kind of strong and in such a way that it kind of makes you think there's spices in there, even though I don't think there are.
2: Sleigh is in the sled, or sleigh is in it's Take a sword to it. It would be kind of a cross between a sled
1: and a heavy metal band. You know, How is it spelled <laughs> right. S-L-E-I-G-H-E-R well, uh, or S L A Y? I think there's. It, it is S L E I G H apostrophe R.
2: Oh <laughs> wow! wow. So, <laughs> I was wrong on both camps. Yeah, so, <laughs>
1: so they're they're kind of trying to play both both camps. Yeah. <laughs> no umlauts in that though. <laughs>
0: I'm getting awfully thirsty for a Barley's Christmas Ale
1: right now. I think we've had enough preamble, and I'm not going to lie. It seems like a lot of foreplay here, Pat. (laughs) So, Angelo, tell us a little bit about the Barley's Christmas Ale, a little bit about the history and then the beer itself. We first
2: brewed it in 1993 to celebrate our first anniversary. There wasn't too many games in town back then. Uh, Hoster had a, a beautiful... Doppelbach that they released every December, and I don't think, I don't know if they had the big parties back in the early 90s or not that were legendary Hoster Doppelbach Captivator tapping parties. So when we had our first Christmas sale tapping party, we did the right thing and invited all the brewers in town to come to the tapping party, and both of them showed up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: and just for people who don't know that would have been uh cbc and hosters yes yes yes
2: it was always a really fun event we eventually got such crowds that we started charging a cover which in retrospect seems kind of opportunistic for people to come into the christmas ale tapping party and i think after that we dialed it back a bit and and just let everybody in and had live music and Tap the Christmas ale and it, it, it was a blast. The first batch we made, we kept relatively simple with just honey and orange zest. And then we brewed a second batch and added ginger, if I recall correctly. And then the third batch, we added stick cinnamon. And that combination came together beautifully, and it's the one we've stuck with ever since. Back in the 90s, we could only make beer that was 6% alcohol by weight, and that's what we uh, were trying not to go over when we first brewed it. And our Christmas ale clocks in at about 7%, making it easy to drink, but as Pat said earlier, not a session beer.
1: It is easy to drink, yeah. First of all, I think this year's batch is excellent. I mean, it is really bright.
2: It's so bright this year. I I enjoyed it so much and I don't want to say that this is the only way to do things, but at Barley's we make roughly 300 gallons of beer at a time and we don't start making it until a couple of few weeks before we put it on tap. And the first batch lasted exactly two weeks. So the second batch is on tap right now, put it on tap on Friday and, and that that's super fresh. Uh, You might see Christmas sales on the shelves at the end of summer. And in order to to do that, you have to brew the beer in the summer to get it to the distributor to get it on the shelves. Yeah. Most beers are really best fresh. So if you support a small local brewery, chances are you're getting some of the freshest holiday beers that anybody on the planet is drinking. That's absolutely true.
1: Tell us a little bit about where you source the spices and things, and the honey, if I'm not mistaken, is also Ohio honey, right? Yeah,
2: we've gotten honey from the same farm ever since 1993. We found this farmer through somebody at the North Market. It was so long ago, I don't remember how. He was the apiary inspector for Green County, and we contacted him and asked him if he could deliver honey to Barley's, and he was nice enough to drive all the way to Columbus, and pulled up out back and dropped off the buckets of honey and uh, pulled out his invoice book out of his pocket, looked at the sign in the window, and wrote out an invoice to Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Brew pubs, microbreweries, whatever you want to call it, were such a novelty back then that he uh-huh. had no idea who he was selling the honey to. <laughs> Sadly, he passed away a few years ago, but his son... Uh, David is nice enough to continue to take care of the bees and bring us honey and drop it off at our back door. When oh, we that's need awesome! It. Yeah, that's a great tradition.
1: You know, we were talking about honey on the last podcast. When we were talking about saisons and we had Hans on, who's an amateur beekeeper, and so we we had a long seg on honey and using honey in beer. So sometimes a little fleeting to get those honey flavors in the beer because the yeast uh, oh, consumed yeah, it they all. metabolize so,
2: that in honey for sure. Yeah.
1: In what way, if if you don't mind divulging,
2: at what point in the brewing would you use the honey? We put it in at the very end of the brewing process, at the end of the boil. For those of you that don't know much about the brewing process, uh, most brewers will whirlpool at the end of the boil in order to, to use centrifugal force to get all the hops and coagulated proteins to be in the center of the kettle so that you can pump nice bright wort out of your kettle. And we add it during that whirlpool so as to mix the honey in. And I think that we're able to evoke some of the the flavor from the honey by a, a generous addition of British caramel malt that really gives it a nice, not overbearing sweetness, but a sweetness that gives the honey flavor something to grab onto. We zest oranges by hand. And when I say we, in 2020, that means me.
0: <laughs> and... Uh,
2: <laughs> We are really nice to have a produce company that we we don't order produce as frequently as we used to, but their produce sales rep is a great guy, and if he knows that we need a box of oranges for a brew, he'll deliver them that morning, and he'll even carry them right down into the brewery. But he doesn't help me zest them. (laughs) 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 The ginger we get fresh, and... Since I'm the only one in the brewery most days, I've taken to chopping all the fresh ginger the day before and putting it in a sealed container because my hands are kind of occupied on the brew day. And cinnamon sticks we source from North Market Spices, a great, great asset to the community in in the historic North Market, right outside Barley's back door. When I decided I was going to brew that second batch of Christmas ale like two days before I was going to brew it, it was really nice to be able to walk over there and say... Uh I'm going to be brewing Christmas ale day after tomorrow. Can you, oh yeah, we'll have cinnamon here. I can have it here today if you need it. But that that was really nice. That's and awesome. It, it's it's nice the way that it that beer comes together every year very nicely. We use all British malt and German Hallertau hops although that beer isn't really about hops. Was it a, an
1: instant success? Did people start clamoring for it right away?
2: It boggles my mind how popular that beer is it, it, from the get go. In Christmas time, it, it's our best selling beer. Even even now, we sell as much Christmas ale as we do our, our most popular beer, which is Bloodthirst Wheat. And that beer is the one that you will find in in bars and restaurants and growler shops around town. But Christmas ales in those places right now too. So if you if you can't get to Barleys, which we would prefer. Look for it at the growler shops and bars and restaurants around town. And just to
1: say, people can come into Barley's. They can get a growler's to take home, as, as I've done. Absolutely. Have a it- pint
2: or some sauerkraut balls in a pint and uh, get your growler's to go. Yeah, and we we uh, are really good about swapping, if you like. We run the growler's through our blazing hot dish tank and then sanitize them. We can swap them and you get a clean growler. or We could fill yours or you could buy a new one. It's up to you. Perfect.
0: Man, I'll tell you, those sauerkraut balls, too. The perfect (laughs) pairing. Perfect pairing. I can never go to Barley's without at least getting an
2: order of sauerkraut balls. They've got their following. They are good. When we were shut down and only doing carryout, I spent as much time in the kitchen as I did in the brewery. And that's one of the things I learned how to make from from scratch. <laughs> so oh, starting that's pretty good. With raw sausage and a bucket of sauerkraut and a chunk of cheese. <laughs> that's a good skill set to have, Angelo. I don't know that.
0: I'm, it may not be as important as brewing, but it's like one step. It's just one
2: step away. I love them. They're Absolutely cool. love them. Have you tried that skill out at home yet, or no? Making sauerkraut balls? Yeah. No, I, I haven't. I, I don't need to, really. I, can't, <laughs> I, don't think I, could, I, I don't think I could improve upon them. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I can yeah. always get them at work. <laughs>
1: you, 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 are, you are one of the only people who, every day at work, could just get uh, the real thing. That's
0: they, right, yeah. yeah. That's dangerous. I mean, it's hard enough for me to stay out of Ray
1: Ray's, but if, if I had the sauerkraut balls at my disposal, yeah. it could get ugly. Of the three of us, I'm the only one who didn't grow up in Ohio, I think, grew up in central Ohio. I think also if we were to go to other parts of Ohio, people uh, would think about the Great Lakes Christmas Ale. Its origins are almost exactly the same year. Mm -hmm. When I was researching it, they say 1992. So practically the same age as the Bartley's Christmas Ale. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you aware of the Great Lakes Christmas oh, no. Sale at the beginning? At what point did that that coming to Columbus? It must I, have been some time, it, I guess. It
2: was after that. And I, I don't think Great Lakes did much distribution to Columbus until maybe 96, 97. Yeah, uh, I would say mid, yeah. At the first afternoon with the brewers that we had at Barley's, where we have an our uh, homebrew competition, we invited all the brewers in town to... To bring beer. And at the first one, it, would have, it was just two other breweries, just like when we tapped Christmas sale Columbus Brewing Company and Hoster. So we invited uh, Great Lakes to come down with some beer. And I don't remember who the brewer was at the time, but the brewer brought down a keg of something from Great Lakes and, and had it at our first afternoon with the brewers. Uh, the second time we did it, we invited the brewer from Rocky River okay. to come down and bring mm-hmm. some beer. His name's Matt Cole.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, as uh, people and, who don't know now, uh, Mr. Fatheads, right? Yeah, he's the, he he's the head the guy. At Fatheads, at Fatheads. He's, yeah,
2: he's,
1: he's, probably the most award-winning brewer in the whole state. Maybe one of the most award-winning brewers in the whole country, I would guess. If you add up all those GABF medals, that, and a and I think brewery. he was winning those medals when he was at Rocky River. As I well.
2: believe he was. Yeah. He's a, he's a great brewer.
1: I remember it being around a long
0: time, Great Lakes, but you know my memory doesn't go that far, and
2: so w- one beer that was readily available in the early 90s, maybe even late 80s, that was a Christmas beer very much in this style was um, Sam Adams made a a strong spiced beer. I think they called it Old Fezziwig. Yeah, that's right. I remember it. (laughs) I don't remember exactly where it fell in the timeline, but they did it as well. In fact,
1: I was thinking about the first time that I tried a spiced beer of that type, and, and I'm pretty sure I got one of those Christmas variety packs from Sam Adams, and it had a couple of those old Fezziwigs in it. Yeah, so that was that would have probably been my first, you know, overtly spiced beer that I can remember having, to tell you the truth.
0: Going back to Barley's Christmas ale tappings and then also of course the captivator parties which I was at plenty of each and over the years at the Barley's event you would have guest tappers it was and really I, fun and i remember Annie man uh, may rest in peace he did it for he, years. he did multiple right? he did it for years how many how many times did he tap
2: i'm guessing it was 3 or 4 uh, okay it started out with I think Earl Bruce was first to do it. Okay. He, he uh, did it uh, a couple times.
0: And then Buck Reinhart did one, That was right? Lashutka. It, that oh, was it was Ryan, Okay, Reinhardt. okay. Yeah,
2: Lashutka did it for years. when was
0: Bucky around? And I remember, I was telling Pat last night, we were talking about, something got us on the topic of mayors. And I was like, actually, Buck Reinhart like, got a DUI on the way home from an Ohio Inspecting State game. the
2: city. That's
0: right. And, uh, <laughs> most people would frown on that, but true Ohio State fans are like, ah,
2: you know. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to have Mayor LaShutka do it. and Okay, yeah, it was LaShutka, yeah. We had different ways of, of tapping it, and one of the most memorable ways we tapped it, we used to have a window that opened from the, the bar down to the brewery, and we ran a very long clear piece of tubing directly from the serving tank all over Barley's that ended in a yard glass in front of Lashutka. Oh, wow. And we had like a bucket brigade of people saying when to shut it off because it was just a valve on the tank (laughs) that we shut off. But everybody in the bar that wanted to hold on to that hose could hold on to it. And and the, the beer poured straight from the tank into the mayor's glass and then when we started cask conditioning, it was really a lot of fun to bring out a cask and actually tap the spigot into the cask, which is where the phrase tapping comes from. That generally wasn't very messy, generally.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes when you hammer in this file, it does spray, though.
1: You, well, you have pointed out some uh, yeah. artifacts on the ceiling exactly. when I began artifacts from oh. tappings that were a little more vigorous than yep. intended.
2: Yep, yeah, but that that was a lot of fun. And the last few years, it was Leo who sings the Star-Spangled Banner at the yeah, Columbus Blue Jackets right. game, and uh, he's a good sport and always d- did a great job for us. So we and we've had a lot of great bands over the years play at Barley's while we did the tapping too. This last couple few years, we've had a, I guess you'd call them kind of a smooth soul group called Honey and Blue. Oh yeah, I know them. And one. when yeah, uh, uh-huh. I was telling the the reporter from the dispatch that this band, Honey and Blue, is going to be playing, he jumped to the conclusion that it was a country band. <laughs> oh, so hilarious. if you read about Barley's Christmas <laughs> ale in the par- party in the dispatch, expecting to hear some country music at Barley's and didn't find it, I uh, apologize. Uh, I'd, I could have clarified what kind of music they played uh, when I talked to him.
1: It's not exactly honky tonk. <laughs> no. Actually, before we Leave the uh, the Spice Winter warmer, though. Sort of one of the more famous rivalries, if you want to call it that, would be the Thirsty Dog, 12 Dogs of Christmas, and then the Great Lakes Christmas Ale. Because there was, at some point in time, a, a brewer that used to be a Great Lakes who came to Thirsty Dog. Yeah. Actually, I called Rick Arman up to ask him about this uh, as I was preparing for the show. And he says, well, you know, I think that's, that's kind of all overrated. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of breweries at that time were making some beers in this vein, and it's a different recipe, even though it is similar in a lot of ways. And, but he said, but Thirsty Dog did not go out of their way to squash those w- rumors. You guys might remember, but for a while, it was really hard to get the Great Lakes For Christmas years, out. it
0: was a big deal. And, and I can remember hearing, oh, so-and-so, let's say Bob's Bar, had a keg of it. And we'd say, oh, shit, we all better pile in the car and head over to Bob's Bar. But that that was a thing. Like, if you heard it was on somewhere, you'd go get it. And it, now it's very prevalent in the grocery store. But back back in the day, it was a little harder to come by. There there was a great restaurant
2: a few doors down from Barley's in the Hampton Inn called Deepwood that, oh, that, that was a special place in my heart. Their beer list was curated by the sous chef, who really did a great job. They had a beer cocktail many Christmases ago that was made with... Great Lakes Christmas Ale, and they ran out and realized that they had this cocktail on their menu and they needed to still make it, so they put Barley's Christmas Ale on tap. It was a fairly seamless transition, but that that sous chef uh, wanted to be a brewer is what he really wanted to do, and now he runs the brewery called Seventh Son, called Invent.
1: Yeah
0: yeah, 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 that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a good story, too, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, yeah, how popular that Great Lakes Christmas sale was, and you almost had to know someone. Like, if you knew the beer guys, like, oh, we're going to get some tomorrow. And then that just reminded me of, I can also remember when people would go crazy over Hopslam, or when, you know, I would try and buy a KBS when I got off work, and, you know, it was all gone. But nowadays,
2: it's a very different world, I think. You know, I could get KBS any time of the year. Yep, I went to Giant Eagle grocery shopping yesterday, and I... Look around the liquor store, and they had, I think, five different versions of the Clintonville Giant Eagle of the Bourbon County Stout from wow. Goose Island Yeah, in their, in their liquor store. So it won't be there all year, but that's pretty readily available.
1: Gears a little yeah, bit. We're moving on to hoppy beers now, right? Yeah. How can we have a whole podcast without talking about hoppy beers? And we're keeping it local again. Yeah. We are drinking the Columbus Brewing Company Citra Noel. Such a good beer. It is very good. It's nice to have a hoppy beer with
0: the nice backbone of malt to it as well, because sometimes today's hoppier beers, you know, it's just stripped down to just the hops. That is one thing. It's got such a
2: nice, rich, amber hue. It, it's got a really nice balance. Somebody that doesn't like hops will say it just tastes like hops. But if you appreciate the malt backbone in this beer, and that, I would say, uh, runs across all of Columbus Brewing Company's beers, while they're noteworthy for making wonderful, hoppy beers, their malt is evident. They oh, do yeah, a nice absolutely. job of keeping it evident. Well, the tap
1: room has been closed now for a while, but when it was open, you know, their Pilsner was out of this world good. Sure was. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, that's Ohio Stout that they make.
2: That's a great Stout. And have you had any of the Steel Don that they just released?
1: I haven't had it recently. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to get you some.
2: It was such an honor. Tony There, I don't know if he's what you call him, Director of Innovation, I think, is the last title I heard for him. But he's such a great guy and, and knows his stuff. And he asked me if I was going to be at Barley's on this particular day, like the next day. Yeah, I'll be there. And he came by with two four-packs of their steel on that was oh, cool. a taproom only release just as a as a gift. And that that is such a nice way to make me feel like I'm part of a community, and I definitely am eager to share. I should have thought about that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a class move.
1: Now, I could be wrong, but when I drink this beer, it's hard not to think back to a really famous holiday beer, and that would be the Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale, which goes back to 1981. And you can kind of make an argument as practically one of the first IPAs ever made in this country.
2: It was definitely the first best example that I'm aware of. At the time, I thought that Anchor Liberty Ale was probably the first one that I had But then Celebration Ale was unique in that they only made it for the holidays, which is when hops were freshly picked. So it was fresh if you bought it, unless you were an idiot like me and kept a case of it in your basement. Because in the dead of summer, it was still hoppier than anything else you could get. Yeah, sure. It must have been. In the mid-90s, my sister lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And what I would call walking distance of their house, I I avoid driving, was a beer drive-through carry-out thing. And they had a pretty good selection of beer. And I went to visit in the summer one year, and lo and behold, a case of Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale was there. And I told them how much I appreciated that they had that. So they kept a case every year for when I went to visit my sister over the summer. And I would get a case of Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale. That's awesome. Did you have to tell them you were coming? (laughs) They, They just had it. It was... An iconic beer. I understand the enthusiasm for Great Lakes Christmas Ale, but that wasn't a beer I would stockpile. It was the first real American IPA that I
1: can really remember for sure. And if I'm not mistaken, I remember talking to you once, Angelo, and was there one winter where there was a bit of a shortage of it, and that inspired you to brew something at Barley's?
2: Yeah, in the, like, 93, I think, winter of 93, they didn't send any to Ohio. And I used to buy beer frequently at the Pace High carryout because it was right down the street from the winemaker shop where I worked. And they had pamphlets there from breweries. This was before the internet. And that's where you got your information about the the beer. And and this pamphlet had their beers throughout the year and what went into them. And they used a hop at the time in Celebration Ale called Centennial, which was newly released. Right. And... We would buy whole hops from a company in Oregon called Fresh Hops, and I pursued Centennial Hops, and he said, yeah, I can get you some, but I'll only be able to get them at at harvest time. And I I said, well, keep me posted, and and, uh, planned this IPA. I I first did a pilot batch at home, five gallons, and then took the recipe to Barley's and used it to make our hundredth batch of beer at Barley's, uh, Centennial IPA. And we still have brewed it on occasion, but it's been a couple years. That was my response to not being able to buy Celebration Ale. I'm going to try to make it. And I I wasn't real close. I could have been a lot more heavy-handed with the hops back then. But as it was, the day we put it on tap, I remember going into the brewery and trying to gauge customers' reactions to it. And the general consensus was, this is bitter. It tastes like grapefruit. Why would anybody drink this? <laughs> uh, and and my response to that is, why wouldn't anybody? <laughs> <laughs> but that was 1994. Well, the commonality, I would
1: say, between the Citro Noel and the Celebration Ale is this very balanced kind of caramel backbone in the malts. I mean, would you say that the malt profile here is it's kind of a throwback to those early IPAs and not... Wildly different
2: from a Celebration Ale. I, I get some caramel. I get some toast. And that that's not easy to do, to have that work with all those hops. But dang it, if that doesn't work as well as could be. It's a good beer. Yeah. And, you know, and the
1: Citra Hops brings a different element to it. You know, I don't know. How would you guys describe the flavor I, of I Citra Hops? I get a hops? little bit of
2: pine mm-hmm. and... Uh, Not really so much the tropical fruit that you find in so many of the hazy type IPAs these days.
0: And I could also say, though, in the orange vein, almost if you just express some oil out of a peel, it has that a little bit on the nose uh, along with the pine.
1: It's very nice. And in fact, we were just talking about zesting oranges earlier. And so this (laughs) is another way of like trying to get those flavors into a holiday beer with... Traditional beer ingredients.
2: And to backtrack for those that are interested in the spiced holiday ales, Columbus Brewing Company does make one and uh, it's called Santa's Tracksuit. That's right.
0: <laughs> <Santa's> track <laughs> and and it'll be
2: available at their tap room only. And I highly
1: suggest our listeners get over and pick some up before it's gone. Mark, I am glad to be a member of this show right now because you did run out to the tap room and pick up some Santa's Tracksuit for all of us, didn't you? Absolutely. So. Let's give it a try. Well, this has a deep amber, dare I say, chestnut kind of color to it. Excellent clarity. And, you know, what do you think about the flavor? It's good.
0: It kind of puts me in the mind of more back to Barley's Christmas Ale. It puts me in the mind also of Great Lakes. I mean, it's just in that vein of a very good spiced Christmas ale. I'm glad they've added this to their lineup.
1: It's a really nice beer. Yeah, it's a nice one. And it has that kind of rich malt character that Angelo was referring to earlier when he was talking about that runs through all of the CBC beers. This one has a rich malt character and a sweetness almost reminiscent in some ways of the Sam Smith's that we started out with. Yeah, and I think you're right about chestnuts. Very nutty. It's really good. Great malt presence and... uh you know, the spices are very there, but also quite restrained and just what you need. Now, as I understand it, the proceeds from this beer go to help out the Mid-Ohio Food Bank. That's right. I think the proceeds are going to Mid-Ohio Food Bank. And what a great cause to
0: tie in with this beer when a lot of people, you know, yeah. aren't as fortunate as others
1: during the holiday season. Yeah, that's a very class move by CBC.
2: That is wonderful.
1: Now, Angelo, if someone were a home brewer and they were looking to make a beer in that style, I mean, we already talked about some of the things, but do you have any tips for home brewers out there? How do...
2: It's pretty easy to overdo it. There's a whole arsenal of winter spices, baking spices that you can use. Some people might like the flavor of clove in, in beers that aren't hefeweizens or Saison's or, or, or Belgian ales, but I really think that... It's hard to put clove in a beer like this and have it work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Cardamom is another one, and that's again easy to overdo. And uh, I think cinnamon. I know I joke with Pat a lot uh, historically. If if cinnamon is in your neighbor's spice cabinet, it's almost close enough to the beer you're brewing. <laughs> I mean, that's use restraint. I think is the big thing with those two is just use restraint. Uh-huh. You know, a little
2: bit's nice, but a lot of bit is not nice at all. But as I alluded to when we first started brewing the beer, if you do want to experiment with spices and you have the means to, to brew multiple batches, and it's very scientific to just change one thing at a time and see how you like it and then be like, oop, nope, not cloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Well, it's great. Moving on to darker beers, something in the stout vein, and this is Land Grant's probably the seventh year that we've done this. Beard Crumbs, it was our first seasonal offering ever, and this is an oatmeal raisin stout. So it's an oatmeal stout with raisins. I think it turns out pretty nice every year. used to caramelize the raisins, but we were feeling that that gave too much oxidative character in the beer so now just the straight raisins it's called beer crumbs you know to emulate santa having some cookies
1: as he's delivering those packages well my grandma used to make oatmeal raisin cookies and i have uh, definitely a soft spot for them no question and this beer i love it every year that it comes out it's wonderful are these california raisins (laughs) (laughs) these are california raisins the uh the raisin industry in ohio is uh there's not much to it, as far as I know, yeah.
0: Heard it through the grapevine, those
1: type? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the singing, the singing variety. the
2: French word for grape?
1: My French is so rudimentary. I don't know if I can <laughs> I answer that question, someone, Angela, but it sounds reason, right.
2: I think it is.
1: Well, this definitely has some coffee notes.
0: I mean, it's got a lot of burnt roast, and this is also a beer that, even though the Christmas ales now go on the shelf so early if you are distributed, this is actually a beer that holds up fairly well. If you find one of these in the back of the fridge in April yeah. or May, it's not a bad find. So it does very well. Don't have to drink this one. Super young. This is
2: something my wife would really enjoy. I'm going to look for this
1: for her right on. I'll send her home again can. That's too nice. It does have a roastiness that we haven't really encountered in any of the beers that we've had thus far today, I would say, you know, um, which, which as you move to a stout, you expect that. But I think... That coffee, a little bit of chocolate, that's that's nice in these beers, definitely. Where does the oat part of the oatmeal cookie come in? I guess in the malt bill. That's right.
0: Yep. In the malt bill in the form of flaked oats. And
2: oatmeal stout's a classic. I mean yeah, Sam yeah. Smith's probably one of the best known going, I think. It's the first oatmeal stout was the first stout I made at Barley's, and I made sure to thoroughly examine Sam Smith's prior to formulating the recipe. And I got hops. From Sam Smith's back in the early 90s. I no swear way. I could smell some British hop character Interesting, in yeah. in Sam Smith's Oatmeal Stout. So I put a healthy addition of Fuggle in the Oatmeal Stout. That's a good call.
0: You can never go wrong with an Oatmeal Stout. I mean, this is a time of year. I know we've had a lot of spiced Christmas beers, but this is a time of year when you're looking for more malty, more hearty beers anyway. When the weather's turning and it's getting a bit cooler out, that's when I'm always searching out a dark beer.
1: Well, and I think also the the chocolate flavors in a stout lend themselves a great to winter, and also if you want to put a little spice in there, it goes great with the chocolate as well you know absolutely, thanks to an
0: idle tank last year, we now have two Christmas themed beers at land grant, and we also have La Superiora, which is a mole porter, la Superiora. I think his legend would have it, maybe the uh, mother or sister nun that is known to have created the mole oh, sauce, and uh, too much about the legend surrounding, but that's, that's what I understand it come from. Like, that's great. She just put everything she had in the pot, I guess, was the story behind mole sauce.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that came from a nun. That's, that's the story, yeah. I learn something new every time we do this podcasting.
0: I would agree. So, yeah. Now, also in the vein of dark beers, the Mole Porter.
2: I've got to interject that the visuals on this cans label are gorgeous. And as eye-catching as could be, it brings me fond memories of some chili pepper Christmas lights that I had for decades. Oh, cool. They... They weren't uh, LED (laughs) and didn't last forever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's got the uh, red and green pepper Christmas tree vibe going on.
0: That's right, with the star on top. And uh, yeah, Walt always does a great job with our branding. So this is, uh, in keeping with the mole theme, well executed. Yeah, the chocolate, the peppers. It's very nice. The ancho chilies.
2: It doesn't burn, though. It doesn't attack your throat like sometimes chili beers can. Yeah,
0: not at all. And that cinnamon gives it a little heat in the finish that almost is questionable whether you've got a little chili heat or cinnamon heat. And not too much cinnamon, which is good. Yeah, it's very subtle. At the end of the day, very often in the last few weeks, this has been my beer of choice (laughs) before leaving the brewery.
1: I'm a big fan of just the flavor of peppers, and this has a really nice underlying pepper flavor. I mean, it doesn't whack you over the head but you can definitely pick it up and it works great with the chocolate i think yeah works. it's together. not
2: overwhelming at all this is wonderful and the chili flavor i, I agree with Pat is perfect we are a little bit deep into the podcast of which we've had a, a gazillion beers it seems like <laughs> no
0: i would not say a gazillion we've had some eight beer podcasts before some that ended better than others but <laughs> you're right so we've got one more stout and this is a surprise entry today Angelo was kind enough to bring us
2: Barley's Breakfast of Conquerors. We brewed Conqueror at the beginning of the year. It's a strong double oatmeal stout. And in the interest of not losing beer down the drain, I don't know if any homebrewers are familiar with this. When you brew a strong beer and it ferments vigorously, you tend to blow off more than any brewer would care to. So I didn't fill the tank up very much, but did use all the ingredients I did in years prior. So this beer started out at 11% before it went into barrels in February. And then we were shut down, and I had no motivation at all to move beer out of barrels. We were just not selling that much beer, so it got to sit in the barrels for eight months and I had the vision for this beer back in February. I fell in love with a coffee bean that comes from Crimson Cup. It's an Ethiopian bean. They call it Cosa cabina. And I get it at Wylands and I like it so much. And my thirteen year old son said to me a month or so ago, he he enjoys a cup of coffee in the morning, he said, How long did it take you to perfect coffee making, Dad? And I said, It's not me, it's it's the coffee. And uh <laughs> contacted Crimson Cup, and they were nice enough to sell us 10 pounds wholesale, but for the two bourbon barrels, I only needed 8 pounds, so a couple pounds I bought from Barley's at wholesale (laughs) price and still have some at home. Uh, The barrels, though, are the biggest part of the motivation behind this beer. When when I started getting barrels, it was harder to get them than it is now, I think, and we would get extra barrels for a, a guy that makes bourbon barrel maple syrup, Milligan's maple syrup, and after... A couple years of getting him barrels, I thought, well, what if we get those maple syrup barrels back from him and put beer in it? And I had this idea. I'll make an Imperial Oatmeal Stout, and it'll be a breakfast beer with coffee. So this is Breakfast of Conquerors, our Imperial Oatmeal Stout aged in maple bourbon barrels with Ethiopian coffee. Oh, man. It really carries a lot of the maple flavor,
0: too. Like, sometimes that just turns into fermented sugar you know and yeah, you this, don't have the character
2: but really this year this is the third time we've made it and i get maple from it more than i ever have before mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah the really maple- stands out
2: a wonderful
1: maple flavor to it and the coffee this is a beautiful beer oh, thanks i'm glad you're enjoying it yeah what's this clock in at alcohol wise
2: uh, 11.2 the- after the maple syrup goes into the barrel it takes out most of the bourbon so there really wasn't enough bourbon to increase the alcohol much but that's enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, you know, 11.2. But that's probably good, you know, for the end of the. I already mentioned uh, North Market Spices. Ben, the, the spice purveyor there, is a great person to talk to about adding spices to beer. And he said that some brewers will use fenugreek to get a maple flavor in beer. And I I, I haven't tried it, but I'm amazed at the maple flavor in this I've That's read great. that
1: in Randy Mosher's books.
2: He talks about right? using fenugreek to get that maple
1: flavor. Actually, I have no context for that spice, to tell you the truth.
2: What is it normally used for? Indian food. I, I've used it in Indian food. It, it's, I guess it's unique. This was
0: a pretty good eight beers in an hour rundown. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs>
1: I think we've been very efficient about trying to educate the public on uh, all of the great <laughs> holiday beers you can get here in oh, yeah. central Ohio.
0: Yeah, I know. And, you know, you hate to leave anybody out, but eight beers in an hour, that's pretty good. I think we did a good job.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think we've finished with the best. Oh. I, I think <laughs> it's, I, it's,
2: it's not officially a holiday beer. It's just brand new at Barley's, and we should have it for a little while. I
1: was going to ask that question. So it's on now at Barley's. So people can get it. And uh, how, how much is there, Angela?
2: Uh, there were two bourbon barrels, so I think we're down to about seventy-five gallons, something like that. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be. You heard for it here, while. folks. I mean, <laughs> don't don't
1: sleep on this one because with the short days coming and the long nights, I mean, this is a, a great beer to sit by the fire and just just enjoy it. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful. Place. I
2: haven't tried it with breakfast yet.
1: you gotta have a special day that you're gonna start uh, with uh, a breakfast drink of 11.2 percent
2: well I'll have to say after eight beers I think we ought to wrap it up guys this has been fun and I'm really grateful for being included thanks so much
0: Uh, we're honored to have you on and hey everybody out there go and buy your local Christmas beers and eh, you can even try a couple across the waters Sam Smith, you can't go wrong, but keep it local if
1: you can. Happy holidays, everyone. It, Happy holidays. It, let's look forward to 2021, I think. Yeah? Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, cheers. Well, thank, <laughs> cheers. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.